Welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. Well, thank you, little pumpkins. <laughs> and thank you, Steve, for organizing them. That was just heartwarming, touching. I should have, I wanted to see their faces. I had to see the backside. <laughs> At the close of our service today, we're going to receive a special offering for the roof of the Bayside School. We announced to you last week that we'd like to raise about 14K to put a roof on there so that teachers and students don't have to come with the challenge of mopping up water on a morning after a rain, but they can get right to the business of learning and worshiping the Lord. And it's an offering that we're giving out of joy in our hearts to Jesus. Keep that in your heart and in your prayers, and it'll culminate at Thanksgiving. Uh, hopefully by that time the Lord will have blessed, and I know that he will, toward our goal. An old saw is in our title. Spiritualism, an update on an old saw. Do you know what an old saw is? It's it could be a fantasy, it could be a story, an old story, it could be a parable. Uh, that's become so familiar that we have lost interest in it. Uh, for example, maybe you heard your mom say, haste makes waste. Well, that makes very little sense, doesn't it? Today in our very fast-paced world, nobody thinks about that anymore. Everything has to be with haste, and who cares about the waste? And likewise, this spiritualism really no longer captivates so much our interests because we think that it's associated with ghosts and haunted houses and seances and the paranormal. And of course, we fool ourselves by thinking that we would never be taken in by such foolishness. You realize, don't you, that our culture has just experienced an all-out tsunami wave of the celebration of the dead in connection with Halloween. You realize that, don't you? Halloween is the Christian pagan holiday of All Souls Day. The basic idea is a celebration of the dead. And so I ask the question, why is this fascination with death? Why this fascination with the dead? I didn't know, but someone told me uh, before Halloween that it has now exceeded Christmas in terms of the profits that it brings in to retailers and, to, and the media. Uh, so obviously, scary movies and sitcoms and comedies and video games and costumes and entertainment 
is very big business. And people love to be scared to death by entertainment. The Bible says that death is our enemy. It says it's the last enemy that Jesus will conquer. But most people believe that death is great fun to have your fears of death just laughed away by common, inane visual effects. In the meantime, Satan is just laughing all the way to his bat cave, knowing that he is getting people all wrought up with the most crude forms of spiritualism while masquerading what his true designs are. Satan wants people to think that spiritualism is evil spirits knocking on the walls, the dead returning to their place of their murders, seeking revenge. He wants people to think that spiritualism is blood-sucking vampire-like human bats, suddenly appearing monster-like apparitions, and slime oozing from the walls. Satan wants people to think that that is spiritualism. The real foundation of spiritualism is this. There is no death. The real foundation of spiritualism is there is no death. And if you think about it, that that thread of teaching runs through all of the religions. It runs through all of the religions whether it's Native American reverence for nature, for ancestors, or the Dalai Lama's Buddhism, or the sacred cow of Hinduism, or tribal animism, or Catholicism, or Protestant Christianity, or ancestor worship, all believe that the dead are living. Now, the devil is very... Uh, clever. By the way, the devil has a very coherent theology. And it's based on this statement, on this, um, what he taught Eve in the Garden of Eden. Spiritualism is based on this statement that the serpent taught Eve in the Garden of Eden. Ye shall not surely die. That's, and everything spins off of that as far as the devil's coherent theology of spiritualism. Satan has a very coherent theology. In fact, if if there is no death, ye shall not surely die. It does away with the doctrine. It undermines the gospel of the cross to save sinners who have transgressed the law of God. It does away with the law of God. If a person does not die then I'm going to give you right now the coherent theology of Satan right now, if you'll listen. If every person does not die, then the inevitable conclusion is that everyone is immortal. Everyone inherently has immortality. And since uh, immortality is a quality possessed by God, then everyone is a... God. And pantheism is the idea that God is everything. So every person is a God. And there is really no such thing as death because 
the dead continue to live. Now that is Satan's coherent theology. And you know something? People just lap that up. They love that idea. People love to believe that their dead loved ones are looking down from, them, from above in heaven to bless their homes and to come occasionally and speak to them. People love that idea. There are different kinds of uh, meditation. There is the popular Eastern kind of meditation called yoga, induced by a trance or bodily contortions. There is a direct link to Hinduism, which professes to be a very spiritual religion. There is also transcendental meditation, which claims to be religiously neutral. These forms of meditation are a search for a higher form of consciousness, actually a search for divinity within oneself. This is how Buddhism and Hinduism are marketing themselves to Western culture today through meditation and yoga, exercise programs. And the idea is with meditation that God is everywhere and you just need to search him out and he is inside of you unrecognized, and you can make contact with him through these forms of meditation. Friends, beware that the root idea is pantheism, and it leads one into spiritualism. It leads one away from Christ. Well, okay, it is God who sets the rules, amen? The Ten Commandments are God's law, amen? But if everyone is a God then all of his or her impulses, all of their desires, all of their wants, are good and to be indulged. This is Satan's coherent theology. Everyone can set the rules for their own life because they are God. Now then, we can clearly see that the doctrine of the immortality of the soul completely undermines and abolishes the law of God. It also sets up every man, every woman, as a law unto themselves. It also does away with the cross. It does away with the cross and the plan of salvation because if God doesn't set the rules and everyone sets their own rules, then there is no sin. And if there is no sin, there is no need to be saved from sin. And that is spiritualism. It is the doctrine of devils. It is a coherent theology which people just lap up, and they love it. Now, every teaching, every Christian teaching that implies or gives an excuse to continue in sin is, in the life, to continue sin in life is really an anti-gospel, an anti-gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is anti the law of God. Any Christian theology that teaches that, oh, you can excuse your sins, you know, don't expect to be perfect, that's an anti-gospel and it goes against the cross of Christ, and it abolishes the law of God. You can use that as a clear discernment of the true gospel from the false gospel. Such teachings are not the teachings 
I would say, of the true Holy Spirit, would you? There is a true Holy Spirit from the holiest that Jesus sends to us to lead us into all truth, and there is a counterfeit Holy Spirit. And popular Christianity has already gone far down the road of embracing the false Holy Spirit. It's inevitable, given given their understanding of the state of the dead, as we have just outlined, the major Christian religions of the world buy into the idea that the dead are living. True? That's the foundation of spiritualism. It's the foundation of the abolition of the law. It's the foundation of the undermining of the need for the cross. We have no business buying into other religions, other Christian religions' understanding of righteousness by faith because of that. We have no business whatsoever. There's a very long history of God's people being absorbed with the teachings of Babylon. You know Babylon is the Bible's apocalyptic designation for all of the Christian and pagan religions of the world, and it's all based on this idea that the dead are living, the immortality of the soul. Well, Adventism has a long history of being enamored with the theology of Protestantism and evangelicalism, going all the way back to the early 1900s from the Victorious Life movement in the early part of the 19th century to I remember when I was first starting out that Billy Graham's evangelism was the greatest kind of evangelism ever and we ought to adopt that kind of evangelism. But Billy Graham doesn't understand the gospel because he believes in the survival of the dead. And there's been later on an enamorment, well, with a host of others, but I think of Bill Hybels and the user-friendly church growth movement, so we can go there to learn how to grow our churches, but his theology is the foundation of the church growth movement. Or Rick Warren, more recently, in his mega purpose-driven church. And so I asked the question, should we get our ideas of righteousness by faith and how to grow a church from these evangelicals if the foundation of them is spiritualism. Our former Union Conference president, Thomas Mostert, discerns this most profoundly. Uh, He tried to write about it in a book before his retirement from our union. You know, uh, Elder Graham took his place after he retired, and he sees that the popular but counterfeit versions of Christianity that the Bible labels Babylon are a very dangerous and yet subtle deception. I'd like for you to look at Revelation 18 with me. Revelation chapter 18. In verse 1, you have the true gospel taught by the true Holy Spirit. In verse 2, you have the false gospel taught by the counterfeit Holy Spirit. And here it is, 
in verse 2, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. The conglomerate of Christian and pagan religions through which the thread of the immortality of the soul runs, Satan's coherent theology is fallen. You say, well, how do you link that to spiritualism? Go on. And has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. Sounds like Halloween, doesn't it? Sounds like the celebration of the dead to me. Uh, why, why are Christians so enamored with Halloween? Why are the Christians sending their children out door to door, celebrating Halloween, all dressed up like demons and, and witches? And You know, it's because of the belief in the survival of the dead. And our former Union Conference president tried to warn us that this was creeping into our church. And so he wrote this book called Hidden Heresy. And it was based on Jesus' teachings that there would be false Christs and false prophets and shall, if it were possible, deceive the very elect. And he recognizes that even highly educated, ordained ministers are susceptible to exceedingly well-conceived falsehood and that it is lethal. The root deception of Babylon, as we can see from the text, is the doctrine of natural immortality. Every non-Christian religion teaches it. Many Roman Catholic and Protestant churches have imported it from paganism. If man is an immortal soul, then it cannot be true that the Son of Man died on his cross. Have you thought that one through? If man is an immortal soul, then... The person of all persons who could not die on the cross would have to be Jesus. So that was one big bogus fraud on the cross. Completely undermines the death of Christ on the cross. And no one who holds to that pagan papal doctrine can comprehend then the wonderful gift of love in his pardon for our sins. No one then can understand that. And it will not change the life and reconcile alienated hearts to him if we think that Jesus had a bogus death on the cross. And if one doesn't understand that cardinal truth of the pardon of our sins from the cross, then he can't, doesn't hold what Paul calls the truth of the gospel. Church leaders, Protestant and Catholic, are alike under judgment of Scripture. Mostert sees that confusion here creates the vacuum into which the falsehood of spiritualism enters. Why should we want to fill our cup with the teachings of Protestant righteousness by faith? Why? Well, we're talking here really about the true Holy Spirit versus the false Holy Spirit, aren't we? How can we discern what is the true Holy Spirit and what is the false Holy It is the Spirit of God that teaches us truth, is it not? But there are other spirits out there, false spirits, that are teaching their truth, the coherent theology of Satan. And most of the world is bought into it, including the major number of so-called Christians. Well, 
We read in John chapter 16 and verse 8 that the true Holy Spirit reproves the world of sin. In other words, convicts the world of sin. He, he directs to Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, not in their sins. The false Holy Spirit comforts, comforts you by saying, you're okay, you will be saved in sin, you can boast, I'm saved. And once you get saved, you're locked in for life. And you don't really need to worry about the temptations of the flesh because occasionally you'll slip. It's only human. But don't worry. You are saved. That's what the false Holy Spirit teaches. The true Holy Spirit makes every spot of defilement painfully distinct. That's a conviction of sin. And lays bare deformity and defects of character. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that comfort. By the way, that's a statement from Steps to Christ, page 29. If you want to know what the true Holy Spirit teaches, you look at John 16. You can also look at Steps to Christ, page 29. And that whole page, what I'm sharing with you right now. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be thankful for the diagnosis of sin cancer in our lives so that it can be removed by the Holy Spirit by our permission. We ought to be thankful for that, shouldn't we? And not soothe, have our consciences soothed by, you'll be okay, don't worry if you slip up all of the time. It's only to be expected, you're just human. But at any time that we put up our walls of resistance to the Holy Spirit, to his comforting ministrations, then our consciences become anesthetized anesthetized and our conscience becomes blurred and it evades the sense of guilt for unchristian selfishness. We hear preachers give excuses for character deformity by saying, you're only human. You can't expect perfection. Deformity is normal. And any excuse that is given for sin is an echo of Satan's charge that the law of God cannot be kept even with the power of love which God reveals in the gospel. The true Holy Spirit exposes, Steps to Christ says, the sinner's acts of disloyalty in making void the law of God. The false Holy Spirit represents the law of God as impossible to obey. The true Holy Spirit teaches the soul to hate its selfishness, abhor it's self-love, and will seek through Christ's righteousness for the purity of heart that is in harmony with the law of God and the character of Christ. That's a st statement from Steps to Christ, page 29. And so this whole self-esteem movement, which has taken its root in the evangelical church, is based on the teaching of self-love is desirable. Understand now that the Crystal Cathedral is in bankruptcy. The seat of self-esteem movement in Christianity. It encourages self-affirmation and encourages self-flattery. It's the false Holy Spirit which caused Lucifer to love himself and assert his independence from God 
in heaven. All self-love movements must inevitably result in the overthrow and the murder of the Son of God. The love of self and the love of God are incompatible. Totally. Says a wise writer, love, true love is a precious gift that we receive from Jesus. Love is not self-love. That's its counterfeit. The perversion of all of that that's beautiful and noble. Self-love is the pure evil of spiritualism It was learned from the fallen Lucifer. The true Holy Spirit teaches lowliness of mind, to esteem others better than themselves, and it imparts true self-respect in Christ, and it glories in the cross. Rather than self-love, we teach self-respect in Christ. Do you know the difference? The difference is simply this, realizing the price that was paid for your soul on the cross was equivalent to the life of the Son of God creates a genuine, healthy self-respect. When, Satan, or when Adam sinned, he debited your account 25 cents, but the much more abounding gift of God's grace, which is his cross, credited your account with a trillion dollars. And you're worth much more than that. And so is Jesus. And your self-respect derives from that, friends, and not from your self-love, which would dethrone God. Christ paid the price, we're saying, directly to you so that you would appreciate it and thank him for it. Ye are bought with a price. The false Holy Spirit abhors Paul's counsel. It encourages self-centered self-esteem. It glories in self-assertion. It creates religious arrogance. Christ's condescension is virtually ignored by the false Holy Spirit. The true Holy Spirit discloses how enmity against God has defiled every act of life. Steps of Christ 28 and 29. The bad feeling... Yes, the downright hatred that's directed toward God fills every sinner's heart unbeknownst to him. And that is why it is so basic to understand that we are each responsible for the murder of the Son of God. You know, if you can begin to be convicted of that by the Holy Spirit, That's the beginning of understanding unknown sin. I've had several people say to me, am I guilty of that? I didn't realize that. Well, it was our sins that put him on the cross, wasn't it? It was our sins. On the other hand, the false Holy Spirit assures the sinner that Bearing the cross, self-denial, why, that's the root of your problems. Always putting yourself down. You don't need to go around feeling bad about yourself. I'm okay, and you're okay too. And so we got this disconnect between the Christian profession 
of believing in the cross and a disconnect with living by the principle of self-denial. Oh yeah, I believe in the cross, but we go out and live for self. It is a disconnect. Just wear the cross as an ornament around your neck or have a little shrine with candles around it in your home or put it up on the wall of your house. Yes, I believe in the cross, but a disconnect. We go out and live for self. You know, the phone's off the hook from heaven here. The phone's off the hook from heaven to the private soul in getting the message of daily living in identification identifying self with the crucifixion of Christ. That's what it means to believe the cross. The true Holy Spirit reveals the pure, spotless character of Christ as the sinner's true ideal, which is attainable by faith, which works by love. The false Holy Spirit teaches, believe your sins are forgiven, and then the necessary adjustments will be made to your heavenly accounts, which is light years away, and don't worry about attaining to the character of Christ. In other words, just get ready to die so that you can come, go to heaven through the underground route. And really, selfishness hasn't changed inside at all. The heart never receives the closest bond with Jesus, perceiving his love. Well, continuing on, the, whole, the true Holy Spirit, John 16, 8 says, it reproves the world of righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. When we talk about righteousness by faith, in the first place, we're not talking about our righteousness. It is alien to us. It is imported from him as the only source of it. Then it becomes our righteousness. Christ, our righteousness. But Christ is our example, as well as the forgiver of our sins. His loveliness of life and character becomes ours in the straightening out process of living by faith. It's like a carpet that has, your life is like a carpet that has been bunched up into hills and valleys through wear and tear. But Jesus' gift is to stretch out the wrinkles and to repair the worn spots. But his work is not just superficial. He wins your heart so that you consent for his work to be done in the life. The false Holy Spirit specializes in beclouding understanding of Christ becoming human. If the spirits can convince that Jesus was solely, so wholly other than where we live and breathe, that he did not subject himself to being tempted to lie and to cheat and to steal and to break the Sabbath and to assert himself in opposition to the Father and to covet the opposite sex and to hate his brother, then we have no Savior from those sins which are common to humanity. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, and yet without sin. We have a Savior like that. And I don't know, but personal confession is I've been tempted in all of those areas plus more from within. The spirits confuse Jesus' holiness 
with his righteousness, failing to see that he truly wrestled with temptations at our level and by faith conquered them, thus working out for us a perfect righteousness. The true Holy Spirit reveals Christ as sent in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh. And sinful flesh is the hideout in every one of us that goes unrecognized. Sinful flesh is the I that is in constant conflict with God. It seeks to dethrone God from your life, from my life. And this self-centeredness resists the love of God. It wants to frustrate it. Well, Jesus experienced those temptations from within because he took upon him a contrary will which needed constant rejection. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. And this is how he sanctified himself from entrance into this world until his final exit from this world. Not my will, but thy will. Not ego, what ego wants, but what you want. You see. The false Holy Spirit presents Christ as come in holy flesh, thus not truly condemning sin in the flesh. A misunderstanding of the human humanity which Christ took will lead to continued excuses that sin cannot be overcome in human flesh until Jesus takes away our temptations at glorification, the second coming. And as we have learned, any gospel which teaches an excuse for sin does away with God's law as impossible for sinners to keep, and that is a doctrine of devils. It's little wonder, then, that the humanity of Christ means everything to us. In an understanding of the Savior who has come near to us and not afar off in terms of our temptations means everything to our understanding of the gospel which delivers us from our sin and not in our sin. One day, a customer, uh, my daughter, youngest daughter, was serving customer service at Marshall's as a cashier. She was accustomed to handling paper money, and she knew the feel of paper money. And one day, she was handed a $50 note, and it did not have the cloth-like feel of the genuine currency. It felt like coarse paper, and she identified it immediately as a counterfeit. But it was ever so close to the genuine. It's absolutely essential for us to identify the true Christ from the false Christ. It's absolutely essential for us to know the true Holy Spirit from the false Holy Spirit. The more excuse for sin that we give in our lives, it becomes increasingly difficult for us to discern the genuine Christ and who has come all the way to where we are and yet without sin. The more we excuse sin in our lives, the more we lose our discernment of the Holy Spirit. The more we lose our morals and our ethics and we begin to justify sin in the life and it's just a continuing spiral downward. The true Holy Spirit, we're told in John 16, 8, reproves the world of judgment. Why? Because the prince of this world is cast out. And just what is the activating principle of Satan that has been judged by Christ on the cross? 
It is the principle of self-love. That's the basis of spiritualism. Self-love is spiritualism. The principle of self-love is condemned by the true spirit. It is vanquished. As the redeemed identify with Christ in his crucifixion, the cross expels the self-centered motivation. There is no longer a concern that we get elevated in our status. There's not a concern for one's personal assurance of salvation. The Christ-centered concern takes over. It's a concern for his honor and for his glory. In so much of the artwork of the world, the masterpieces are an exhibition of of the creator's talent. Sometimes the artist hides himself in the landscape of humanity so that the observer will try to spot him. I read about one artist who in all of his work, always had a little cameo shot of himself. And you had to really be watching closely, and you could find him, you could spot him, and you would never see him again. That's what human artists like to do in order to elevate themselves. Sometimes the artists will sign their name in the lower corner of their piece, But for the redeemed, the artistry of Jesus' masterpiece in their life becomes the driving force so that as channels of his grace, they want to decrease so that their master can increase. That there's none of their fingerprints on what he's doing in their life. In contrast, the false spirit justifies sin in the heart where it is never truly vanquished or conquered Christ paid the penalty for sin, but he does not destroy it. And this is a perpetual self-centered motivation which majors on fear. Fear of hell, hope of reward, as the only truly effective motivations. The true Holy Spirit gives an acute hunger for righteousness. It guides into all truth. It dislodges complacency. It heightens the love of truth rather than a mere, oh, we can decide what truth is by all agreeing and coming to consensus. Is the voice of the people truth? When we come to consensus, no. Truth is determined by Christ and taught by the Spirit of truth alone. The false Holy Spirit encourages, you're okay. Don't worry. Self-satisfaction. You're in need of nothing. Let me assure you. Lukewarmness perpetuated. The false spirit destroys an acute hunger for truth. It substitutes a concern for, oh, let's all just get along and agree on what truth is somehow. You surrender here, and I'll surrender there, and we can all come together in the middle balance. Truth was never determined by balance. It's determined by God's Word and by the Spirit of truth that teaches through that Word. There is an irreplaceable element of the pure gospel which Ellen White presents as being ministered only to those who followed Christ by faith into the most holy apartment of the heavenly sanctuary. And that irreplaceable element is what she speaks of as love. 
But obviously, it is the quality of love that dominates the New Testament too. And it's markedly different from the popular sentiment, self-centered idea of love that pervades many Christian churches, including many Seventh-day Adventist ones. But the third angel's message in verity is love. And she says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 415, that the last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of God's character of love. Now occasionally someone who has no conscious awareness of our sanctuary truth comprehends this. And so Anders Negren, a Lutheran, wrote, you know, this idea of the natural immortality of the soul, and by the way, that's the basis of the coherent theology of Satan, you shall not surely die. He says that the natural immortality of the soul is completely foreign to the idea that God is love. Completely foreign to it. Wherever the nat- he says, wherever the natural immortality of the soul becomes the fundamental religious teaching. By the way, that's what Christianity teaches. The immortality of the soul. It celebrates death. Especially at Halloween. We've had a blizzard of it then we can be fairly certain that we are in the sphere of self-motivated love rather than God's love motivating us. And this is the reason for the collapse of Babylon. It will be its final implosion. All of this enthusiasm about life after death just somehow appeals to the deep-rooted human emotions that my loved ones are alive. They didn't really die. They're looking down on me. They're praying for me. They're interceding for me. Spiritualism is masquerading as a counterfeit Holy Spirit. Then we must inquire how we can be sure of distinguishing between the true Holy Spirit and the opposite. And Jesus warned us to beware of false Christs, for they would be very deceptive. A superlative false Christ will make a final debut just before the end. In Great Controversy 624, it says, as the crowning act of the great drama of deception, Satan himself will impersonate Christ. The great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. A majestic being of dazzling brightness resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in the Revelation. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him. His blessing is pronounced upon the worshipers of the beast in his image, the very class upon whom the Bible declares that God's unmingled wrath shall be poured out. Although we read that there's only one Lord, and that means there's only one true Lord, Satan sees to it that there are many gods and many lords. Why does he also counterfeit the Holy Spirit? Because long before he impersonates Christ's coming, which is what Ellen White is describing here, Long before that, he has had some clever misrepresentations of truth through 
the teachings of a false counterfeit Holy Spirit. And that's what we're seeing right now. And a false Holy Spirit is that spirit of Antichrist that, G, that John warns us against. It is what is described as another spirit, the source of the numerous false revivals that are widely hailed as blessings from heaven. Whereas the true Holy Spirit conviction brings conviction of sin and motivation to forsake it, the counterfeit will bring the opposite, the conviction that everything is okay and sin need not and cannot be overcome. And he induces the inner feeling and outward claim, which is a false assurance, I'm saved, I'm saved, which Christ Object Lessons 155 warns against. He prepares souls to protest sincerely in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works but the lord must reply i never knew you why those words because the false holy spirit has produced a counterfeit miracle movement and the people said have we not prophesied in thy name. They did it all for self-glory. Self is the basis of spiritualism. It is the religion of Lucifer, why he rebelled in heaven to begin with, to overthrow the throne of God and put himself there. Self is the basis of spiritualism. And I thought all along, I thought it was seances, I thought it was knocking on the walls. I can see now that it's much deeper than that. And that's why Satan wanted me to get hung up just on that and not see the deeper meaning of it. Spiritualism is the religion of self, cloaked as Christianity. And it is currently imploding on itself and collapsing. The false Holy Spirit subtly disparages genuine Christian experience, which is a deep humbling of self before the cross, wherein human pride and self-importance are crucified with Christ. To fall on the rock and be broken is ridiculed as being negative. At some mysterious unseen moment, the hidden line is crossed, where the true Holy Spirit's insistent conviction of sin is rejected as being the work of the devil and the soul surrenders to Satan's alluring sense of confident well-being when, in fact, the final sin against the reproof of the Holy Spirit in love is indulged. The convictions of the Holy Spirit basically are interpreted by those as being negative. Don't tell me I'm a bad person. Don't tell me not to love myself. You have a negative gospel. I don't want to change my course. I want to indulge myself. I want to continue in the lifestyle that I have right now. Don't bother me with change. And the heels are dug in and there's a stubborn resistance. And that's nothing more than the religion of self, the basis of spiritualism. Thank God that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and of righteousness in Christ 
and of judgment. The cross has judged the religion of self, which is the religion of Lucifer. His religion is a very coherent theology. People love it. Why do you think they love it? Why do you think I'm tempted to like it? Because it caters to me, what I want. It enhances my well-being and makes me feel good about being a Christian. And that's why it's such a subtle counterfeit and deception. We need the true Holy Spirit to teach us the truth of the gospel. Amen. Join us again next time for the word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.